So we are continuing in this series, Humans of the Bible, and today we have a special, not just a guest speaker, but a special guest speaker. Josh Tandy used to be on staff here at Genesis. See, they already, I don't even have to introduce you. It's already, my work is done. Uh, Josh planted a church in Newport, Kentucky a few years ago. I was talking to him this morning, and it's been fun, it's been hard, but it's been good. And so, Josh, we are so glad to have you here. So would you welcome Josh Tandy? Well, thanks, Jerry. Um, yeah, it is good to be here. It's good to be here at, at Genesis Church Carmel. It's good to be hanging out uh, with you guys, and uh, man, it's fun. So if you don't know me, uh, if we haven't met or, or, or our time didn't overlap or, or what have you, I am uh, the old Danielle Baum. Maybe you know Danielle working with the students here, the teenagers. She's a much better version, obviously, and uh, I, I got to work with students uh, at, at both campuses uh, here at Genesis about four years ago. And I also uh, got to be the old Kevin Russell, uh, work out with uh, uh, the, the groups and the discipleship idea. And um, I love being able to watch and be encouraged by what's happening here. I love being able to see the great things that God is doing as people are finding their way back to him. And I love being able to see the ways in which this community is radically changing this community and the surrounding areas. I just love seeing that. I'm so encouraged uh, by that. If you don't know my story, you know, our time here was, was incredible. It was great. We love Genesis Church. My wife and I, my wife Heidi, who's uh, very much the better half, uh, were talking just before about how good it is to be here. Not just because we miss it, because we do, but because we recognize that God took us to where we are for a reason. And it is just good to be back with extended family, to be able to sing and to be able to declare some things and to be able to say some things to God. And so, so thank you uh, for that. Well, but like Jerry said, about three and a half years ago, we moved down to northern Kentucky. We're on the, the good side of the river just across from Cincinnati. And, and we love that area. and We love being down there. And, and, and we started a church. And we started Movement Church. And the idea was is that there are a lot of people, and maybe this is your story, there are a lot of people who, as they've grown up in church, they've grown up with some sort of relationship with God, they reached a point, maybe some marker of adulthood, whether it be graduation or job or kids or family or, or what have you, and they disengage from the local church. And that's a problem, but more alarming is the fact that they disengage from following Jesus. And I saw this as like this great cause, this great issue, this thing. I, I want to be a part of the solution. I want to play a role. I want to, I want to be a part of this. And God led us to do that in Movement Church. And so we're doing our part. And we're, we're kind of plugging along. And it is great. And so if you're, you're down in Cincinnati uh, on a Sunday or not, if you come down for a Reds game or I don't know why you would do this, but if you come down for a Bengals game or uh, you're in the area and you want to come, like we would love to show you our very state-of-the-art, very high-tech, 125-year-old church building, this old Lutheran church with stained glass and hardwood floors. It is gorgeous, and acoustically, it's terrible, but it is an incredible place, and we love worshiping uh, Jesus there. We'd love to show that off. We'd love to hang out with you, take you to some of our favorite places to eat, and just, just brag on our community and say thank you for all you guys have done uh, to be a part of that. Now, one of, the, one of our friends here at Genesis asked us, is it as good as it looks? Are things at movement as good as they look on social media? Because here's the thing, the things that we put out there, we usually put out the polished, right? 
We, we don't maybe, we, we hold back some of those rough edges. We don't, we don't post those pictures where we got the double chin, our hair doesn't look right, our outfit's weird, or we don't talk about the real, real hard things, unless, unless they're pictures of your kids, then you just share them. It's like this right here. So this is my daughter, Clara. <laughs> my daughter, Clara, is beautiful. She's incredible. She's funny. She's a spitfire. When I'm really frustrated, she's a jerk. Uh, but this is Clara. So, so last week, we had the, the privilege of sharing at Noblesville and, and being able to, to, to preach at that community. And then we took a vacation. Uh, we went out to Colorado, to Breckenridge, and spent the week with our five-year-old and our three-year-old. And Clara, on the ride from the airport uh, to, to the place, was, uh, was out cold. But that is, that's like a good example of what life is really like, right? That's like the reality behind things, isn't it? And we don't always put that out there. We don't always put out what's really going on. And I love this series, the series that I've been listening to through the podcast, this Humans of the Bible series, where I see that sometimes we put on this kind of edifice, this kind of, this kind of construct, this kind of view, this kind of like polish around these characters, these people of the Bible, and we miss something, Right? And so maybe we go on vacation, we just post, we just post the, the posed pictures, and this is great, and this is great, but not when our kid's having a meltdown, or is falling asleep and drooling on herself at the back of the car, and then 10 minutes later, waking up screaming. We don't post those things. And so sometimes the reality, we hide it. Now, I want to tell you about some of the reality here at Genesis Church from my perspective. I want to tell you about, about three guys who have played an absolutely crucial role in my life. Three guys who are humble servant leaders, who you, if you're calling this your home, you need to listen to and follow and respect, not because they've earned it, because they are doing the same thing to Jesus. That You need to know, I'm going to give you kind of a peek behind the curtain on Paul Mumal, Ben Krause, and Steve Wallen. You know Steve. Steve's the, the campus pastor here, and he's, he's preaching over at the Noblesville campus this morning. And, and Steve is, is a leader I respect so, so much. Steve, if you know him, has a way of just kind of getting right at the heart of the issue in conversation, doesn't he? He has a way of kind of peeling back whatever we have put up there, kind of peeling back the, the walls we construct and saying, here's the real issue. Steve, for me and my journey, was this guy that, that really kind of broke through. He broke through the barriers that I had placed around what I was about and who I thought I was, and he was able to cut right through. And I, I believe that God used use Steve to speak some powerful, powerful truth in my life. The second guy is, is Ben Krause. Ben's the, the Noblesville campus pastor, and uh, he's the bald guy that, that makes funny jokes and uh, is, is a real, he's just a great guy, but I love Ben. Ben has a, has, a, has, a, has a special place in my heart because I just so respect him as a dad, as a man, as a pastor, but I also really appreciate Ben because he helped me deal with a, an ongoing issue that I have, an ongoing illness that I have of anxiety. It's not, it's not fun to talk about, but it's a reality. It's something that I've gotten to a much more manageable place through prayer and counseling and spiritual practices and medication. And it's something that I live with, but it's something that is able to, you know, in my weaknesses, God is making me strong. And so what I see here is that in that story, Ben has a huge role. Because one of the first Sundays or one of, or one of the first weeks I was here at Genesis, I went into Krause's office and we were talking and, and, and Ben, you know, it's not, not just small talk with Ben. He kind of cuts right to it. He kind of sensed there was something else going on within me, that there was this, this anxiety that was brewing. And, and without prompting, I didn't ask him to do this. He essentially, he handed me a card. He handed me a card. He said, hey, I think we can all benefit from talking to some, some professionals from time to time. This is a guy I trust. This is a guy I know. He's had a huge impact on my life, and he handed me 
a card of a counselor. And I, and I did what we all do in those moments. I put it in my pocket, oh, thanks, yeah, I'll, I'll, I don't need it, but thanks. And I'll have this kind of you know, fake humility about this, and like only weak people deal with that. But about a year later, I'm standing in my kitchen, I think I'm having a heart attack, and it's a panic attack, and I'm sweating a lot more than usual, and I'm in that room, and the, and the room is spinning. Well, the next morning, I called that guy on that card, and it started a process of, of healing, of wellness, of wholeness, and, and I can thank Ben for that. And finally, Paul Mumal, your lead pastor. I, I love that Paul and Jenny and the kids are able to have this sabbatical. Um, you need to know that Paul works really hard. That he is, he is his own worst critic. Uh, he is somebody who is just determined, but he's also an incredible follower of Jesus. And here's the thing about Paul in this sabbatical that's changed for me. I can't get a hold of him. <laughs> he doesn't answer my emails. If I called him, I think he'd pick up. Because in my eight years of knowing Paul, in that time as a pastor, as a husband, as a dad, as a man, he has been a constant voice in my life. He has been somebody who answers the call. He is somebody who responds, who speaks into my life. He doesn't just ask questions like, how is church going? How many people showed up? How much money's coming in? How much are you spending? That kind of stuff. He asks, well, how are you loving your wife? How are you following Jesus? How, are, how is your heart? How are things with your kids? He's the guy that, that gets right to it and always makes time for me. And I so appreciate that. You need to know that. But you also need to recognize that those three guys, those three stories, they're so simple. Their actions aren't these big dramatic gestures. These are very simple acts. Simple acts with profound impact. And that's what we're looking at today in the book of Acts. Uh, Acts is the, uh, in the New Testament, it's the fifth book of the New Testament, and we're going to be camping out in chapter six here in a moment, but we're going to interact with this story a little bit. At Movement, at, at our church uh, down there in Newport, we've been going through the book of Acts all summer, and we've called the series Trailblazers, and for us, we look at the book of Acts, we see this community coming together around Jesus, around the gospel, around the message of Jesus. We see these people who are being transformed, changed, refined, incredibly stretched, challenged, all that stuff. And we see how they're trying to make sense of this. And so as a new church, as a baby church, as a toddler church, we're trying to figure out how do we pursue Jesus? How do we get off of our uh, crawling hands and knees and move forward? How do we pursue this? And so if you think about Acts in terms of a, a larger scope of a story, you start at Good Friday. You start at the cross. You start at the cross where Jesus is, is executed. He's crucified. It's, it's, it's horrible. It's embarrassing. It's painful. It's disruptive. I can't imagine what's going through the minds of those people who are followers of Jesus, the disciples, those that, those that said yes to Jesus. They see their Lord and Savior being executed. I can't imagine the darkness of that. I can't imagine the darkness of Saturday after. I can't imagine what happens before they hear about what happened on that Sunday morning where Jesus, who was dead, he wasn't comatose, he wasn't sedated, he wasn't passed out. He was dead and buried, and he walks out alive. And over the next 40 days or so, he spends time with his, his followers. He appears to them, he teaches them, he encourages them, he eats with them. He says, look, here are the wounds. Here I am in the flesh and blood. I was dead, now I'm alive. Guess what? This promise is for you. I'm the preview of the reality we're all going to live into. And this idea, this incredible euphoria, Jesus is back, he's alive, is always kind of kind of, kind of tainted a little bit. Because Jesus would always say, like, but I'm about to leave. 
And if I was a follower of Jesus in that moment, if I was one of the apostles, one of the, the crowd of followers, I'd be like, well, come on, you, you just came, you just walked out of the grave. You're going to leave? No, 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 that's, that's funny. Just stay here. Everything's good when you're here. And Jesus essentially says, no, it's better for me to leave so that I can give you a piece of me. A piece of me, my spirit, my presence, my power will reside in you to guide, to direct, to convict, to push, to pull back. This idea that I will be with you always. And in that, he also gives them a mission. And the mission is true then as it is today. We are to take the message of Jesus, the story of his teaching, of his life, of his death, of his resurrection, outward. Outward to the ends of of the earth. And the book of Acts is essentially the story of simple, basic people like you and I with doubts, with faults, with issues, with hangups, with insecurities, with problems, trying to figure that out, trying to make sense of this. We see the early church, those first, first few weeks, those first few years, just really exploding and bursting at the scene, but it's, it's really located there in Jerusalem. And the story of Stephen, who we're about to see here, acts as kind of a hinge moment in the entire story. So we're going to look here in Acts chapter 6. We're going to look here at Acts chapter 6 and see what's playing out. That's on page 761 of the Bibles on the floor there. But understand that this church is bursting at the seams and they run into a problem. I know, crazy, a church would run into a problem. But here we go. Acts chapter 6 says this. In those days... When the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. If we pause there for a second, we need to understand the, the real challenge here. Hellenistic Jews, Hellenistic uh, followers of Jesus who have this Jewish religious heritage but also had this Greek ethnic heritage were being overlooked in favor of the Hebraic Jews who are now followers of Jesus who had this Jewish religious background had this Jewish understanding of their ethnicity, of their last name, of their family culture, of their family tradition. Now, this wasn't just a, a divide in terms of ethnicity. This was a wall. This was an intentional, deliberate, and extreme separation. And so this early church is trying to figure out, we've got single moms, we've got elderly women, we've got widows who are going without food. These people who have responded to the message of Jesus, we as a church are pooling resources. We are doing extreme and radical generosity, and we're trying to provide this aid. But this group of people are being overlooked. So we got an issue. We got a logistical problem. We also have this racial and ethnic division problem thrown in. Simple problem, right? Easy to solve. Verse 2. So the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God, an order to wait on tables. In this moment, the leaders of the church say, look, we have a problem, but we can't solve every problem. We can't be the ones that get after things, that jump in, that solve everything. That's not who we are. That's not who God has called us to be. They have an understanding of who they are and what they're supposed to do. They understand that they are going to need to reach out to people. They're going to need to reach out to people and bring them in. They're going to need to reach out to people, empower, equip, disciple, raise them up in order to solve this problem. Now, we see here that they have some requirements, some things that they're going to look for somebody, look in someone to do this job. If I was in their spot, I'm looking for a former caterer. 
I'm looking for people who have logistic experience. I'm looking for people that have worked in, you know, whatever situation with food service where they can do this. But they say we're looking for people that are full of the Spirit and full of wisdom. People that have the Spirit, that have said yes to Jesus and are full of wisdom. And we, they recruit these guys, and Stephen is first on the list. Now, if we pause here, let's think about what Stephen is saying yes to. Stephen is saying yes to delivering food. Stephen is saying yes to delivering food. I think it is so easy for us to get wrapped up in what we do. To see ourselves as the sum of our paycheck. To see ourselves as the sum of our job title. I told you, I I truly do miss uh, Genesis Church. I miss working with teenagers. But you know what I don't miss? I don't miss Cheeto dust. I don't miss coming home from a trip with students and getting in the back of the van and seeing Cheeto dust ground into the fabric of the carpet. I don't miss that. I don't miss lock-ins. I don't miss late nights with students. I don't miss that. I don't miss pizza and Mountain Dew at everything we did. And I don't miss those things. But what I, what I also don't miss is feeling like I was just a youth pastor. Feeling as though that I was somehow coming up short because I felt God was calling me to something else and I was stuck right there. How arrogant of me. How dare I see myself as just a youth pastor? Maybe you have the same problem. Maybe you have the same issue that you need to grapple with. Maybe you've you've been at a party recently, you've been meeting someone new, and they ask you, what do you do? If you start with a preamble, if you start with, I'm just, I'm just a parent, I'm just a dad, I'm just a mom, I'm just a student, I'm just in between jobs, If you start with that preamble, if you qualify this, perhaps you're missing an opportunity right here and now to do something profound. See, Stephen, we're going to learn later, has profound gifts. But what does he do? He raises his hand and says, I'll provide food. I'll deliver food. I'll organize this. I'll make it work. I'll take this forward. He isn't defined as just, I'm the Meals on Wheels guy. He sees himself as more. Perhaps you need to see yourself as God sees you. See, God sees you as a son, as a daughter, as somebody of incredible worth and value and purpose. And what you're doing right now, what you're doing to get paid or how you're spending your time, it is not a waste. It is not a waste because God doesn't waste anything. Verse 7, we see how this incredible ministry happens and the results of it. Verse 7 says this, So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. I love that Luke, the author here, has a little aside about how priests are becoming followers of Jesus. Priests were the, the religious cogs in the wheel. They kept things going at the temple. When sacrifices were brought, it was the priest who managed that. When people were in need, it was the priest who responded. So the priests, the ones who were supposed to be responding to those in need, see these followers of Jesus, see these early Christians, see the early church doing what they should be doing, and they say, I'm in. I need to be a part of this. Their message is true. And I love this idea that this brings us to this place. This idea of service, this very simple point where they're saying, I'm in, I will deliver food, radically changes things. A very simple, very human act 
very simple thing that does not require skill, does not require training, has such an impact. You know, if we look at what Stephen and, and his crew and his guys that are delivering food, we see what they do, and we kind of bullet point it. This helps me understand, okay, how can I live into something like what they did? Not the five steps to doing this or that, or it's going to be perfect, but to be able to say, what did they do? How did this look? We see kind of this play out. The first thing is that they said, I'm in. They said yes to Jesus. They said, I'm in when it comes to following Jesus. This is the first step. This is huge. This is them surrendering their lives. This is them saying, Jesus is Lord. This is them saying, my plans, my ideas, my hopes pale in comparison to the plans, the hopes, the dreams, the life, the forgiveness, the love, the grace, the truth of Jesus. They say, I'm in. I want to be a part of this. The second thing that happens here is that they are opening themselves up to the Spirit. They are allowing God in. See, we can come to a point of just in our intellect, in our mind, saying, yeah, well, this, this makes sense. There's witnesses to what happened with Jesus. We've got, we've got essentially his, his stepbrother, James, believing this. And you have to ask yourselves, like, what would your brother have to do for you to believe that they were the Son of God? Like, a lot. We, we've got all these accounts. These, well, I, I can believe that this happened. But are we opening ourselves up? Are we allowing God in? Are we allowing God to lead us and direct us? When they do this, they sense I'm supposed to go serve. I'm supposed to be a part of the solution to this problem. They understand that we can't just go in guns blazing. We need to be, we need to become wise. It's so interesting to me that the early church understood this. and They said, we're not going to go and, and do this from the outside. We're going to do this from the inside. We're going to do this from people who understand the community. Stephen and his cohorts were people who had Greek backgrounds. They were the local experts. They understood the community. They knew who to talk to. They knew who, the, who was really in need and how to help them. And finally, or not, not finally, but on an ongoing level, they realized that they need to be guided through prayer. I don't know how many times... We encounter a problem at movement. We're going to solve this. We're going to do this. We're going to take this action. And I think to myself, wait a second. How, how are we praying through this? How, have I forgotten this crucial, crucial piece that doesn't just happen at the beginning, that doesn't just happen midway, that doesn't just happen at the end, but happens all throughout? And finally, this continual process for Stephen and his like is that they're living into their calling. They understand very clearly what they're supposed to be about. That their mission is not just delivering food. Their mission is to take this message forward. How they do it is secondary to the first. The first thing that says, I'm supposed to carry this message forward. This is kind of a, a mantra for us at Movement, this idea of being in, saying I'm in, and kind of a simple statement to summarize it is this. That in following Jesus, everything can change for you and for the world if you say I'm in. This is where it begins. This is where change happens. This is where the whole story hinges. Now, if we think about what Stephen is doing here, think about the humanness of delivering food. Think about the, the frustration of showing up with food and it being cold and people complaining. Or you providing something, they say, I don't like that. <laughs> and every parent in the room said, I know what that's like. <laughs> think about the frustration of working with volunteers and other people and them flaking on you. And all of a sudden, once again, you're scrambling at the last second. 
Think about how Stephen is faced with this huge logistical challenge day in and day out. Food prep, delivery, cleanup, and doing it all over again day in, day out. And Here's the thing about Stephen. What we see in the next chapter, in chapter 7, is that Stephen has been sitting on this incredible gift what we have in chapter 7, at the bulk of it, is essentially a, a sermon, a rebuttal, a confession, a testimony that Stephen makes in front of the religious supreme court of the day. What we see is that Stephen has this incredible oratorical gift to explain things. How easy would it be for Stephen to say, no, 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 I'm not delivering food. I'm not going to be just the guy who brings dinner to grandma." I'm not going to be just the guy who runs Meals on Wheels. I've got a gift. I can speak. I can explain things. I'm going to sit back and wait until I get my chance. How easy would it be for Stephen to say, what a waste. You're not going to waste me. You're not going to waste my time. You're not going to waste my talent, my ability on delivering food. A hypothetical situation, an analogy to help us get our heads around this. Imagine a football team. And you've got a quarterback who's an all-time great, arguably the greatest of all time. And he retires. And by luck, hypothetical, but by luck, they draft another once-in-a-generational town at quarterback. And they begin to assemble the team, but they, they lack an offensive line that's competent to protect this great investment. Totally hypothetical. Wouldn't we look at that and say, what a waste of that quarterback's early years. How easy would it be for Stephen to say, I'm not doing that. This is beneath me. I'm not going to step in and do this. You would be wasting my talent, my time, my gifts. You would be wasting, how easy would it be to get righteously indignant? You're wasting God's resources. You're wasting God's work in my life by not using me here. I need to be up there talking, not delivering food, and talking to somebody about how they don't like this, yet they're getting that again. How easy would it be for Stephen to say that? I know I would. I know I have. I know that when I was vacuuming up Cheeto dust, like, wow, I need to go to school for this. How dare I do that? How dare you sell yourself short by saying, I'm just a dad? I'm just middle management. I'm just a student. I just make minimum wage. How dare you allow yourself to be defined by something so trivial as that and missing the opportunity to see what you do as a parent, as an employee, as a boss, as a leader, as a friend, as a husband, as a wife, to understand that you have this incredible gift that when you embrace this idea of following Jesus, when you embrace this idea of understanding that you are trusting God, that you are opening yourself up to the Spirit, that you're living into this mission, understand that whatever you do has incredible potential when done in that way. Incredible potential to change everything. And we see that in Stephen. So Stephen, this guy who's delivering food, is brought up on charges of blasphemy. These, these just this capital offense. And he's brought in front of the religious high court, the Supreme Court, the Sanhedrin. 
These are the guys, this group of 70, that literally speak for God. They make rulings on what God thinks, about what God believes, about what God wants, about what this means, about what that means. These guys are the earthly representation of God and that understanding and that framework. And Stephen, this guy who's delivering food, is seen as a threat. And he's charged with blasphemy, this capital offense that carries with it the punishment of death. And he gives this incredible rebuttal to them, saying essentially, yeah, you're right. I am guilty of this because you have missed it. You have missed the truth of Jesus. You have missed this incredible gift, the one you've been waiting for that was right there in the flesh, and you missed it, but there is still time. He says, you have missed the one, the Messiah, the one that you have been waiting for to reestablish this connection with God, to wipe out, to blot out your sins, to wipe out the transgressions, the mistakes, the regrets, and allow us to connect with God. You have missed it. You have missed the full embodiment, the human embodiment of God on earth. You missed it. He gives this incredible, impassioned speech in front of them. And they don't like it. They don't like it, and they convict them. And the punishment is death. In the ancient world, in the, in the, the times of the Bible here, stoning was the common execution method. And so what would happen is that Stephen would be thrown off a cliff, maybe on the edge of town. And stoning was probably pretty rare, not just because it was barbaric and terrible, but because it was a communal activity. See, stoning was something that you would bring everyone together, that everyone would take part in this. You would take them to the cliff, and you would throw the convicted over the edge, and you would hurl rocks, and you would roll boulders onto the convicted until they were dead. There's a way for the community to say, this person, this, this person who was wrong is so wrong that we're all going to own the punishment. And we get this picture of Stephen. This picture of Stephen as he's being stoned to death. We get this picture of Stephen as he's, as he's dying in Acts chapter 7, verse 59. It says this. It says, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. He essentially quotes Jesus here. Jesus, who on the cross said, those who are nailing the spikes into my wrists and to my feet, those who whipped me, those who placed the thorns on my head, those who mocked me, those who humiliated me, those who have called me names, those that have reduced me to my most base, most painful experience I can imagine, do not hold this against them, God. Forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Stephen says essentially the same thing. This is a crucial moment for the church. As I said, the early church is centralized there in Jerusalem. It's, it hasn't really fully gone outside of the culture, of the community that they were familiar with, that they appreciated. But Stephen serves as this hinge moment. But because of the persecution of Stephen, because of the martyrdom, because of the execution, because of what happens to Stephen, the church experiences this larger persecution, and the church is forced to go outside of their comfort zone, forced to go outside of what they know, forced to go beyond the city walls that they'd grown up, that they were familiar with, that they found comfort in. The early church expands greatly at this moment because of Stephen. There at the stoning, they, 
they had a religious official, like somebody to make sure they did it right. This guy named Saul. And Saul was there to kind of, kind of approve things, kind of make sure things went right. The dress of the time was that you had an outer garment that was kind of a one-piece tunic. And that really you know, restricts your rotator cuff. You're going to throw a rock. And so, so they take off their cloaks. And they say, hey, Saul, would you hold my coat while I do this? And they place it at his feet. And this Saul watches and approves it. If you know the story of Saul, he gets a name change. He becomes Paul. Paul is arguably the second most influential, most important person in the Jesus movement, second to Jesus alone. Paul will go on to become this incredible missionary. If you can picture a map of the Mediterranean, the rim of the Mediterranean, he plants churches all over this. And, and what his churches are responsible for the spreading of this message over and over again. Paul essentially writes half of the New Testament. The first time we meet Paul is at Stephen's execution. What happens if Stephen doesn't raise his hand and say, yeah, I'll deliver food? What happens if Stephen says, you know what, I'm better than this? This job is beneath me? What happens if Stephen doesn't say yes to God, say, I'm in not just for the fun stuff, not just for being on stage, not for just for communicating this message. I'm in for delivering food. I'm in for cleaning toilets. I'm in for, for cleaning up the mess. I'm in for, for, for playing with kids and serving the community and serving the homeless and serving the poor. I'm in for justice. I'm in for mercy. I'm in for the prisoner. I'm in for the naked. I'm in for the, the ones that are, that are alone. I'm in fully. What happens if Stephen doesn't do that? I don't know, but I feel a lot's different. God could do what he wants, but in this story, Stephen's actions are crucial. And so the question for you and honestly for me is what about us? I hope and pray that you know where you're headed. Not just in, in eternity speaking, because I hope that as well, but you know what your role and your purpose is in life. You have a dream that's God-given. And it might be tied to an occupation, it might be tied to a vocation, but it's, it's tied to how you're going to follow Jesus. I hope that you have that. And if you don't, I would encourage you to ask hard questions, to pray hard, to pursue things, to allow wisdom to come into your life, to develop and seek that out. But if you have that, good. But don't miss the step right now. The step right now that you need to take to get there. If Stephen had said, I'm too good to deliver food, my talents, my gifts will be wasted, what changes? You know, maybe for you, your next step has to do with you saying, I'm into Jesus. You know, maybe for you, it has to do with that simple yes. That simple yes that goes beyond just the mind saying, yeah, I believe historically this happened. I believe that this Jesus was crucified. I believe that there's all these reports of his resurrection and these witnesses. So something happened. It's beyond just that of saying, Jesus wasn't just a good teacher. He was the Messiah. He was God on earth. Maybe it's, you need to say that. And maybe that's for the first time. You need to say yes to Jesus. Or maybe you said yes to Jesus a long, long time ago. And you need to say yes again. One of the things I love about the story of Acts and the way that Luke writes it is that there's these patterns that emerge. And one of the patterns that's dominant throughout 
is that when someone comes to faith, when someone has that moment of saying yes, when they are saved, when they believe, when they say, I'm in, they get baptized. They get baptized. And I don't know what your background, your experience with baptism is. Maybe you were baptized as a, as a child, as an infant. It was this beautiful thing that was really more for your family. We're not about discarding or nullifying that. But we are about doing something that Jesus did. We are about doing something that thousands and millions and literally billions of Christians have done for the last 2,000 years. This idea of baptism, this statement, this proclamation, this act of obedience that says what Jesus experienced, life, life is there for me. To be buried under the water, be dead to sin and be risen and be made alive in Christ. I know you, Genesis Church. I know you take baptism seriously. I know you celebrate the heck out of it and you will continue to do that. If you haven't done that, if you did that long ago and you feel this stirring to do it again, what are you waiting for? Maybe for you, you need to raise your hand like Stephen did. Say, I'm in. I don't know what that means. I don't know the implications of this. I don't know what I'm supposed to do next. But maybe it's starting with that connection card. Saying, I'll serve here. Where do you need help? Maybe for you, you know you have a neighbor who's hurting. You need to cut the grass. You need to make them dinner. You know you've got that coworker at work who is just a toxic person. You need to love them. You need to serve them. Maybe you are holding on to some real legitimate hurt. Someone did something to you that was wrong, yet you're carrying it and you're allowing it to inflict pain on you over and over and over again. You need to let that go. You need to forgive. Not to say what happened was good, was okay, or is forgotten, but to say it is finished. It's no longer going to inflict pain on me. I'm letting go of this. Maybe for you, You're believing that lie that I know I can believe so easily, and I would imagine you can as well, that the things you have are yours. That the things you have are yours, that your money, your stuff are yours. And you need to let go of some things. And what a great, great practice of generosity that trains us, that teaches us that the things that we have aren't ours, they've just been entrusted to us. What is your next step? What is the thing that you need to say, I'm in on this? Yeah, I'll I'll deliver food. Part of me might think it's a waste, but I'll start there. I'll start there. I'll open myself up to the Spirit. I will do the human thing, the simple thing, and I will act. Let's see what God does with this. That's my challenge. That's my, my hope that in my life, in your life, in this church, movement church all over the world that Christians would say how can I be a part of this how can I live out this mission and yeah it might be some grandiose act but it starts when you say I'm in it starts with the simple it starts with the now let's pray God I'm so thankful for the gift of life the gift of forgiveness And God, it's absurd. It's absurd that you would do this. It's absurd that you would come to this earth, that you would would be raised as a a poor child, that you would would, would be living in the backwater of backwaters, that you you would become this incredible teacher, this healer, this prophet, this 
this rabbi, but then you would transcend that, that you would be the Messiah. You'd be the one that we have, we have been waiting for even if we can't put words to it. That the longing that we feel, the disconnection that we feel, that you step into that void. And God, how absurd is it that you don't just stop at forgiveness at love. You allow us to experience life and life to the full. You allow us to experience the kingdom way, the Jesus way. You allow us to experience heaven and eternity, not just when we die, but now. And God, I pray that we can see the humanness of Stephen, the humanness of his actions as he said yes to you, as he said, I'm in. I think you've got this big plan for me, God, but right now I'm showing up. I'm delivering food. I'm taking care of people. God, show us what our next step is. Show us how we are to move forward and let us not miss the gift of those simple acts those simple acts that have profound and incredible impact that change everything. It's your son's name.